me at verse 9. We're going to read down through verse 12. The Bible says, All ye beasts of the field, come to devour. Yea, all the beasts in the forest. His watchmen are blind. They are all ignorant. They are all dumb dogs. They cannot bark. Sleeping, lying down, loving to slumber. Yea, they are greedy dogs, which can never have enough. And they are shepherds that cannot understand. They all look to their own way, every one for his gain from his quarter. Come ye, say they, I will fetch wine. We will fill ourselves with strong drink. And tomorrow shall be as this day, and much more abundant. Well, the title of the Bible study we're finishing up is Come One, Come All. Let's pray. Lord, help us to see the Word of God tonight clearly. Help us to understand it. And Lord God, help us to be wise in our uh, spiritual life choices. Thank you for the Bible. And Lord God, may we value it. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. There's a handful of folks here that haven't been here for any of the Bible study, just looking around the room. And so I'm going to give a quick rundown of the chapter. And uh, we'll look at these verses we just read in detail here momentarily. Uh, chapter 56, again, is built on the foundation of Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah 53 is the prophecy of how the Messiah will die for the sins of humanity. All we like sheep are gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. The Lord hath laid on him, the Messiah, uh, the iniquity of us all. He was bruised for our uh, transgressions. He was wounded for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was laid upon him by his stripes. We are healed. Isaiah 53 lays out for us uh, the, the struggle of the Messiah, the death of the Messiah, and then the resurrection of the Messiah. Isaiah 54 then is written to the Jews and how they are to respond, the Israelites and how they're to respond to this death of the Messiah. Isaiah 55 is written to the Gentiles on this same topic. And then Isaiah 56 begins with Israel and then works outward to talk about the Gentiles and the eunuchs and how they fit into the picture of the millennial reign of Christ. Now, one day King Jesus will rule and reign from Jerusalem's throne, and the Old Testament law uh, 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 was built upon by Jesus, and the new covenant of grace, this is going to become the law of the land. So, Old Testament law lays the foundation, New Testament grace completes the structure, and the, the law of the Bible will be the law of the land during the millennial reign, where Jesus Christ uh, rules and reigns from Jerusalem, Israelite, Jew, and Gentile will uh, live together and worship King Jesus. So as we have said, the last uh, two Bible studies here, verses 1 and 2 of this chapter, talk about our behavior as we await Christ's coming kingdom. Verses 3 through 8, or the second paragraph in the chapter, talk about those who are invited to participate in that kingdom. And verses 9 through 12, uh, we'll be looking at this evening, talk about those who are poor leaders as we await Christ's coming kingdom. So let's run back through the outline really quick, read the verses as we go, and that will lay the foundation for point number three. Number one, we looked at the integrity God desires. Look at me at verses 1 and 2. Thus saith the Lord, keep ye judgment. That's the integrity. And do justice. So inwardly you keep judgment. Outwardly you do 
justice. That word justice is all, uh, means righteous living. A uh, uh, justice, he is to hold high the standard of what's right and he is to make sure that it is enforced for others. The word in Spanish is, uh, for righteousness is justicia, also translated into our English word justice. And so, uh, justice, righteousness, this is what we're to do. Look at verse 2. Blessed is the man that doeth this. What's that? He keeps judgment. He does justice. And blessed is the man that doeth this, and the sons of man that layeth hold on it, that keepeth the Sabbath day from polluting it, and keepeth his hand from doing any evil. So under point one, we looked at the responsibility given, and then under uh, that was letter A, and then we said letter B, there's a reward guaranteed. There is a blessing available to those who keep justice and do judgment. And uh, we looked at all that meant. Then number two, number two, verses three through eight, we looked at the invitation God extends. So first we see to the stranger. This was last week's Bible study. Look at verse 3. Neither let the son of the stranger that hath joined himself to the Lord speak, saying, The Lord hath utterly separated me from the people. Neither let the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. Look with me down at verse number 6. Verse 6. And the sons, sons of the stranger that joined themselves to the Lord to serve him and to love the name of the Lord to be his servants, every one that keepeth the Sabbath from polluting it and taketh hold of my covenant, even them will I bring to my holy mountains and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices shall be accepted upon mine altar, for mine house shall be called in house of prayer for all People, all people, we said here that it is God's desire to the stranger, to the stranger, that all be invited to worship at the temple, which is the house of prayer, that all be invited into the kingdom of heaven. And just to list off, rattle off a couple of Old Testament examples, how about Rahab? Rahab, who had lived a life of harlotry there in Jericho, and she was in her right place when the city was invaded by the Israelites, and the whole wall fell except for her portion, and there she was, uh, there she was rescued, and uh, she would marry into uh, the Israeli family, a stranger being brought in and would become part of the lineage of Christ. How about uh, Ruth, the Moabitess girl who followed home Naomi and ended up marrying um, uh, marrying there the, the young man. His name escapes me at the moment. Boaz, that's it, thank you. Uh, Boaz, and uh, married Boaz and ended up becoming the great-grandmother of King David. And uh, again, a stranger marrying in. How about the Israelites? This one doesn't get talked about a lot. How about the Israelites when they were in captivity in Babylon, when they left the Babylonian captivity and went home? There were four groups of people that made their way back to Israel. Ezra the prophet, and many people don't know this, Ezra is a man. All right, I know his name ends in an A. That's a man. All right, Ezra, uh, uh, part, of, uh, part of the priestly uh, 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 crowd, leads a group back home and, and helps see the dedication of this new temple. And he sees that many of the Israeli men are married to 
pagan women who want nothing to do with the Jewish religion. He sits, he tears his clothing, he puts ash on his head, he mourns, and he cries out to God and says, we're sorry for having intermingled uh, with paganism. And then these women are given a choice. You can convert and believe in the God of Israel, or you can go back home and be uh, with your Babylonian uh, culture and uh, worship uh, your Babylonian gods. Some of the women did indeed convert, and Babylonian women became part of the Israeli family. The others were sent away, uh, given a bill of divorcement. So we see the invitation God extends. Uh, my whole life growing up, I had this idea that if you were not born in the nation of Israel, that God didn't care about you or that there was no plan for you. But no, that's not the case. God always had a way uh, for Gentile people uh, to make their way to salvation. And the invitation is to the stranger, letter B. We see the invitation God extends, it's also to the eunuch, to the eunuch. Look back with me at verse number 3. Neither let the sons of, son of the stranger that hath joined himself to the Lord, saying, The Lord hath utterly separated me from his people. Look here. Neither let the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. For thus saith the Lord unto the eunuchs that keep my Sabbaths and choose the things that please me and take hold of my covenant. Even unto them will I give in mine house and within my walls a place and a name better than of sons and of daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. What is the greatest concern of a eunuch? The greatest concern of a eunuch is that they're not going to have any children and that their name will be cut off. And God says, no, if you are a eunuch for the sake of the kingdom of heaven, I will make sure your name lives on forever. We spent some time last week looking at Matthew 19 and saw how Jesus laid out three classifications or categories of eunuchs. We saw there are eunuchs made of man. There are eunuchs who are that way by personal choice. And then we saw that there are those who are born a eunuch. Those made of man, the example we gave was that of Daniel and the three Hebrew boys. And then we looked at those who are eunuch by personal choice, and that's just sexually celibate. We looked at Paul, how in 1 Corinthians 7, he said, uh, I, I give of you, I speak by permission and not of commandment. He said, I wish that you were like me. He said, if you can't, uh, uh, for, if you can't forego, you can't forbear, and you, you are going to burn up in lust and get married. He said, but if you can, you can live a celibate lifestyle, if I could paraphrase here, then go forth and give your life for the kingdom of heaven. And and uh, be single so that you don't have to worry with the cares of this world for a spouse. You you can give your whole life uh, of proclaiming the kingdom of heaven. And Paul said, I wish that you were like me in this area, that you would choose to be celibate. You would choose to be a eunuch for the sake of the gospel. But then Jesus lays out in Matthew 10 a third classification, and those are people who are born with no sexual desire. And uh, they are born with no desire to marry the other gender. And we said that uh, possibly John the Apostle was an example of this. I offered quite a bit of evidence. And so without re-preaching last week's notes, um, uh, I encourage you, if you're interested on that topic, to go back to last week's message and look at that. Also, I'll throw this out here on our YouTube channel. Pastor Morales and I, a handful of years ago, did a roundtable discussion in here 
on a Sunday evening entitled Born That Way After All, where we took the whole topic of biblical eunuch and we looked at that in great detail. And so we tackle the uh, homosexuality topic through that uh, discussion. If that interests you, I encourage you to go back and watch that. Let's jump in tonight and look at point number three of come one, come all. We see number three, the ignorance of God's leaders. The ignorance of God's leaders. Look back with me at verse number nine. Let's absorb the passage in this evening. Here we see some strong language pointed at God's leaders. Isaiah writes, All ye beasts of the field come to devour, yea, all ye beasts in the forest. His watchmen, look at verse uh, number 10, His watchmen are blind. They are all ignorant. They are all dumb dogs. They cannot bark. Sleeping, lying down, loving to slumber. Yea, they are greedy dogs, which can never have enough. And they are shepherds that cannot understand. They all look to their own way, every one for his own gain, or for his gain from his quarter, from his dwelling. Come ye, say they, I will fetch wine, and we will fill ourselves with strong drink, and tomorrow shall be as this day, and much more abundant. So, when you think of God's leaders, who do you think of? If you lived in Isaiah's time, maybe you thought of the prophets. If you live in today's time and you're reading this passage, you think of God's leaders. Maybe you think of the clergy. You think of those who hold a position of power within a church setting. In our church, it would be the pastor. Uh, more broadly, maybe you think of uh, a Catholic priest. Or uh, you think of someone who declares themselves to be an elder or a bishop in uh, another denomination. And you think that those are... God's leaders, and surely those are God's leaders. Are you listening this evening? But it goes beyond just the pastor. If you are a parent, this extends to you. If you are a husband, this extends to you. If you are an employer, this extends to you. And God here is not simply talking to the pastors. I was talking to Angela around the dinner table tonight, and uh, the uh, kids were picking on her a little bit. And uh, in, in Spanish, we call the pastor el pastor, el pastor. And then if a woman is a, a pastor in a female, some churches have a woman pastor, you call her la pastora, la pastora. And uh, there are people who ride the bus, come in on the bus, some of our Spanish ladies that come on the bus, they refer to Angela as La pastora, all right? And so when she starts getting bossy with me, I say, okay, pastora, all right? I call her uh, uh, the pastor. And uh, you know what? Um, you know, so we, we, uh, we have fun at her expense with that, and she plays along. But can I say this, that in some senses she is a shepherd on that bus? Because those people that get on that bus see her face every Sunday morning, and she's there to look after their spiritual well-being. And to care for them. You moms that have children at home or grandchildren that come visit you regularly. And how many moms that have adult children know that your work doesn't finish just because they turn 18 or 21? You keep loving on them and you keep encouraging them and you keep helping them. You know, you moms, you're shepherds. You're shepherds. You're shepherding the heart of that child. 
You're telling them, no, that's not right. You don't need to do that. And you need to move over here and do this. And how many of you have learned that shepherding is hard? Shepherding people is hard. Getting some stubborn little sheep to go where he or she's supposed to go and do what he or she's supposed to do is challenging. You know, Paul told Timothy, you can't lead a church until you first become good at leading your own home. Because shepherding starts at home. It starts at home. And when the Bible here is addressing the ignorance of God's leaders, yes, he's talking about the spiritual leaders of a country or of a people, but he's also talking about the individuals in the homes. I I look at our country right now, and I look at uh, our political state. We have a major problem in this country. We have a leading Republican candidate that very well may be in prison when the election's taken. We have a leading Democratic candidate in the White House who has probably committed a lot of crimes and done a lot of wrong. We have two men who are very corrupt, who are in the lead by the country to be on the ballot. You say, well, don't pick on my candidate. I'm putting them both on the same plane. All right? I told you I said a politician is is a mixture of uh, poly, meaning many, and ticks, which are blood-sucking creatures. All right? Many blood-sucking creatures. That's my view of politicians. But, but look where we're at as a country. Why are we so broken? Listen up here this evening. All right, everyone make sure your phones are on silent and uh, help me out with that. All right, why are we so broken as a country? Leader, watch this. This is so key. Leadership is broken on a national election level because leadership is broken at home and in the homes. You want to fix the leadership of our country? We fix the leadership of our country by fixing the leadership in our homes. I guarantee you that if men would step up and get a backbone and love God and love their family and lead them forward, and we'd have a revival across the country of male leadership, we'd have no problem having better candidates to run for the White House or the State House or the Capitol. Uh, we'd have no problem with that. Uh, we're, too, we're too busy pointing our finger at the flaws of these politicians when we ought to be looking in the mirror and pointing the finger at ourselves and saying, boy, I could be a better mother. I could be a better father. I could be a better husband. I could be a better grandparent. I, I, I could be a better employer. I could be a better employee. I, I could do a better job of being a godly leader. So let's look at the ignorance of God's leaders here in just the last ten minutes we have. Notice letter A. They are like slothful, blind Dogs. Slothful, blind dogs. Look with me back at verse number 10. Isaiah calls for the beasts of the field to come and devour these terrible leaders. Look at verse 10. His watchmen are blind. They are all ignorant. It means they don't know. They are all dumb dogs. That's strong language. They cannot bark. Sleeping, lying down, loving to slumber. I talk about my dog Ginger from time to time, and Ginger is uh, she's uh, she's hit the adult years, right? She's gone from being a puppy and the, the, the nervous energy of 
chewing up everything in the house. To, she's settled in and, and uh, you know, she used to jump up on the couch in the evening and she'd put her nose right in my face and, and, and just beg me to pet her. Now, when I sit on the couch, she just comes and lays her head on my lap so I can pet the top of her head. And, and she's calmed down quite a bit. But you know what Ginger likes to do? Ginger likes to sleep. How many of you are dog owners or have been dog owners and you've seen dogs that just sleep all the time? All the time. And I'm like, how many hours can you sleep? Get up and do something, right? And, uh, uh, but uh, as a dog ages, they get to a place where they're blind. Uh, we have a family in our church that has a dog that's like 17 years old. They have a swimming pool in their backyard. How many know where this story is going? The dog is blind. How many know where the story is going? The dog stumbled into the swimming pool, all right? And they had to jump in and save the dog, all right? Uh, so, uh, but the, listen, uh, a lot of us behave in our leadership roles like this slothful, lazy, sleeping, blind, dumb dog. Do you take your role as leader serious? Are you serious with it? Are you active with it? Listen, I, I, I find my role as father, I take it of the utmost importance. And when I see a character flaw in one of my children, I'm there to address it and deal with it and, and handle that. And I'm going to tell you right now what teenage boys need. They need a dad to stand up to them and tell them they're wrong and tell them to get in line. They don't need mama to correct them. They get to a point they need daddy to correct them. And uh, we need uh, moms with a backbone who look their daughters in the eye and say, that ain't right. Get it in line. Get it straight. Uh, And listen, we need those who are there uh, to pour love on them and encourage them and to help them. And, And we need pastors who are not just going along with the trends of the day. And I heard an analogy recently where pastors are afraid of losing their church members because of all the moral changes in our culture. So they just keep moving the fence further and further out in order to maintain the people inside the fence. Now the fence is so broad that while everyone is inside the moral boundaries, no one's attending their church. If you look across our country today, you see that. Uh, we're growing at White Oak Baptist Church. And, you know, we're one of the only churches in Stratford that hasn't compromised on what the Bible says. And we're growing. And the churches that are compromising are shrinking. Don't think that's an accident. Don't think for a moment that's an accident. God wants us to hold the line, and God wants us to stand for what's right, not to be a slothful, blind dog. Turn over to Ezekiel chapter 3, and look at verse number 17. Ezekiel 3, verse 17. Do as a parent, you know how to stand toe-to-toe with a child's sinful behavior and address it firmly but lovingly and Uh, Get rid of it out of their heart. Do you know as a husband how to love your wife and wash her with the water of God's Word and lead her to a place of sanctification? Are you that watchman in the tower looking out for uh, that evil that's coming toward the 
fortress of your family, the, the entrance of your family, and are you cutting it off? When was the last time you put your foot down and said, that's not allowed in this house, that show is not allowed in this house, that device is not allowed in this house, that behavior is not allowed in this house, that clothing is not allowed in this house, that music is not allowed in this house, that book is not allowed in this house, not because I hate you, but because I love you, and we're trying to keep evil out of our hearts. You're called to be a watchman, not a slothful, blind dog. Look at verse number 17 of Ezekiel 3. Son of man, I have made thee a watchman under the house of Israel. Therefore hear the word at my mouth and give them warning from me. When I say unto the wicked, thou shalt surely die, and thou givest him not warning, nor speakest to warn the wicked from his wicked ways to save his life, the same wicked man shall die in his iniquity. But his blood will I require at thine hand. You know what God's saying to Ezekiel here? And there's a lot of mispreaching on this verse. You know what God's saying to Ezekiel here? God's saying, Ezekiel, I've called you to preach these warnings to these people. It's a heavy message, and it's a hard message, but you are commanded to preach this message to these people. He said, if you don't preach the message that I've given you to preach to them, and they die in their wickedness, I will hold you accountable for their death. But look at verse 19. Yet if thou warn the wicked, and he turn not from his wickedness, nor from his wicked way, he shall die in his iniquity, but thou hast delivered thy soul. He says, but if you get up and you tell them, and you warn them, and they end up dying in their own sin because they don't change, that's no longer on you, that's on them. You have a place to tell them. You have a place to warn them. Look at verse 20. Again, when a righteous man doth turn from his righteousness and commit iniquity, and I lay a stumbling block before him, he shall die. Because thou hast not given him warning, he shall die in his sin. And his righteousness, uh, which he hath done, shall not be remembered, but his blood will I require at thine hand. If I've given you a message to give them, and you don't give it them, and they die in their sin, when you've directly disobeyed me, I will hold that, I will hold you accountable for that. 21. Nevertheless, if thou warn the righteous man, and the righteous sin not, and he do, and he, and he doth not sin, he shall surely live, because he is warned, and thou hast delivered thy soul. Now, I don't believe Ezekiel 3 to be speaking about soul winning, and a lot of pastors use this passage to say, if you don't warn people about hell, then I'm going to hold you, uh, you accountable for that. And I, and I don't think that's at all the context of this passage. But I cannot tell you what the context here is. If God has given you leadership over a group of people, and you let them go on into a lifestyle of sin, and you yawn and ignore it, and don't pay any attention to it, and you're not on your game, I'm going to hold you accountable when their life is a wreck. Hey, listen, my children might grow up one day and decide to curve off into sin and live a lifestyle of wickedness, but can I tell you that if that happens, they will have had a mom or dad who looked them in the eye from birth up to 18 and beyond and said, that's not right, don't do that, these are the consequences, this is where this is going, and if they end up over there, it will be as they're walking over the truth that they were told, not because mom and dad turned a blind eye and let them watch whatever they wanted to on TV or explore whatever they wanted to on a tablet or a phone. No, we will have done our part to be a watchman and to stand guard and to proclaim truth. And mom and dad, uh, husbands, you've been called to be a watchman, not a slothful, 
blind dog. And by the way, when the pastor gets up and preaches things that your flesh doesn't like, you know what that is? That's the pastor doing his job of warning you of wrongdoing that you need to stay away from. If your flesh doesn't like it, then you probably need to hear it. Amen? Letter A, slothful blind dogs. Letter B, the ignorance of God's leaders. We see selfish, greedy dogs. Selfish, greedy dogs. Look at verse number 11. Yea, they are greedy dogs, which can never have enough. And they are shepherds. Here we see why they're so slothful, why they're so lazy. Because instead of caring for the people, they're looking out for their own wallet. They are, they are shepherds that cannot understand. They all look to their own way. Everyone for his, uh, for his gain from his quarter. Come ye say they, I will fetch wine and we will fill ourselves with strong drink and tomorrow will be as this day and much more abundant. And I know that passage is addressing alcoholism, but I don't believe this is just talking about alcoholism. I believe this is talking about the party lifestyle, a carefree, careless lifestyle of Instead of being responsible and looking after the people under my purview, I'm going to go get as much money as I can and put it in my pocket and then just live a life of pleasure and comfort and not worry about the morality of those under my watch care. Turn over with me quickly to Philippians chapter 3 and verse 2. By the way, by the way, let me go back. Isaiah, turn over to Philippians 3 verse 2. Uh, we talked about slothful, blind dogs. Isaiah says this. We'll look at it in just a handful of weeks. Isaiah 58.1, he says, Cry aloud, spare not, lift up thy voice like a trumpet, and show my people their transgressions in the house of Jacob their sins. I said on Sunday a couple of weeks ago that pastors have three choices when it comes to hard things. They can declare it. They can deny it or they can dodge it. And a lot of pastors take that third option. They just dodge it. They don't want to talk about it. And a lot of pastors, what they say isn't wrong. It's not what they say that's the problem. It's what they won't say that's the problem because they're dodging hard truths. And I see parents who are the same way. Uh, when it comes to a hard truth, instead of dealing with it head on, they dodge it. They avoid it. And you know what God's called us to do as leaders? To cry aloud and spare not and lift up our voices like trumpets and declare iniquity to the people so that they can get their lives in order. Selfish, greedy dogs. Look at Philippians 3 verse 2. Paul says to the church of Philippi, beware of dogs. Beware of evil work, uh, workers. Beware of the concision. Now, um, in Peru... Uh, where my wife is from, and it's this way in most of the world, there are dogs that just roam the streets. How many of you have ever been to a country where dogs just roam the streets? Would you raise your hand? You've been to a country that way. That's most of the countries of the world. It's not just Peru. If I don't clarify that, I'm going to get in trouble when I get home. Amen. Uh, it's not just Peru. That's most of the countries of the world. And you know what? I've walked down the road and seen packs of dogs just walking. And it's intimidating. It really is. And you want to cross the street because you don't want to get mixed up in a pack of dogs that can attack you. And you know what? Instead of being a, a shepherd who's looking to protect God's people, it, we, uh, uh, the, the warning here is that these shepherds have become selfish, greedy dogs who just look out for their own interests and they're willing to devour the flock 
for their own gain. And uh, uh, Isaiah says here, he says, the bears of the woods should come out and eat these poor leaders. And so, uh, as we look at this tonight, what is the takeaway from the Bible study? It's simply this. There's an invitation from God for all to come. For all to come, uh, we need to know that in the last days, leadership will get less and less and less and we need to be men and women who lead our homes well. I'm going to tell you what makes my job as pastor of White Oak Baptist Church easy. Ready? When the men of this church shepherd their own families in line with the Bible, it makes my job a lot easier. When the men of this church lean on the women to be the spiritual leaders of, this, of their home, we have major problems. Major problems. We need godly men. And by the way, I'm all for uh, godly women who lead. I am in no way discouraging women from leadership. Uh, There's all kinds of women leaders in the Bible. And ladies, if your husband isn't going to lead, then you stand up and lead that home spiritually. We need leadership in the home. And if the husband's not going to do it, then the wife ought to stand up and do it. But it was never God's intent that way. We need men to stand up and be godly men who love the Lord, submit to Him, and lovingly lead their families forward. And may we have a church full of men who do that. Ladies, if you're in a situation where that's not available to you, then you be the godliest leader of your home that you can be. And you get your kids in church. And you get yourself to church. And you be consistent. But let's not be dogs. Let's not be uh, blind, uh, slothful, blind dogs. And let's not be selfish, greedy dogs. Let's be shepherds who are watchmen and watchwomen who look after those under our watch care. Amen? All right, let's stand together and uh, we'll be sent forth to serve the Lord this week. Isaiah chapter number 57, and we're going to look to pick up some speed and cover the entire chapter next week. I'm going to put the Bible study together a little bit different to make sure that we're able to do that. All right?